Would you open God's precious holy word to Galatians? And we have come now to chapter four. And I want us to look at verses one through seven this morning. As I bring you a message that I call divine adoption. Adoption is one of those words attendant to salvation. It belongs in there with all of those other words that we think about. There's, oh, I don't know, there's justification, regeneration, reconciliation, peace. I could go on and on. Adoption is something that sometimes we don't think about, but it is a great blessing that God has provided for his own. It is a doctrine within the doctrine of salvation that gives us even an expanded view of our privileges in Christ, in our salvation. Paul has been arguing or, or presenting the case via the Holy Spirit through, through Paul's pen of how the Galatians had become bewitched because they were buying in to a false gospel. A gospel that was teaching works salvation. Jesus did so much, but you have to take it from there. Most specifically with regard to the problem in Galatia, certain aspects of the law were being taught by the Judaizers who came in after Paul to undo everything that he did wherever he went to try to make the Gentiles believe that they had to attend to Jewish ritual and ceremony and, and legalistic things in addition to having faith in Christ. So they had to sort of become proselytes or something of the Jews before they could become a Christian. Of course, there's only one gospel. There are not two gospels. There are not multiple gospels. There's only one gospel. Remember, I've said it many times since we have begun our study in Galatians. We're justified by grace through faith in Christ that's it. Plus nothing. One of the things the Judaizers were making the Galatians believe was a requirement was that the men had to be circumcised. You had to do a work. You had to do something yourself in order to be completely saved and then once someone buys into that, 
The addendum never stops. Now you have to do this to keep your salvation and you have to do that. Oh, you, well, careful now. You have to do this. You see, that would never stop. But of course, that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now in his, in his treatise, in his appeal to the Galatians, he further expands his case by making them understand the principle of adoption, divine adoption. So you and I will look at that today. Beginning in verse one. Now I say, for as long as, and I want to make three points from this first slide, okay? Number one, an enlightened and unenlightened child is heir he differs not from a slave, though owner of everything. All right. In that culture, in that day, here's a kid. He's a child, maybe an infant. He cannot control all that he will eventually have. He's an heir to a, to a, to a great treasure, a, a great wealth, great responsibilities, a great, great home. But as an infant or a little child, he's not any different from a slave. He, even though he owns everything by right, he has to be controlled by others. They have to teach him and they have to control him and look after him. He can't make up his mind. He can't make decisions. He's, he's a child. In the ancient culture, there was no <laughs> middle life. You went from childhood to adulthood. Adulthood carried with it rights and privileges that childhood did not have. So a child, unenlightened, doesn't understand stuff, even though an heir to the wealth, yet no different from a slave, though he owns everything. So, all right, we have, we have in our minds a child born into a wealthy family, but is still under the control of others. Second thing, instead he is under guardians or stewards and trustees until the time appointed by his father. I'll give you two examples in that culture. And one of those cultures still exists. First, the Jewish culture. In the Jewish culture, a boy, a child, a male child is a child until he's 12. Then he goes through bar mitzvah, which means that he is a, a son of the law. He now is responsible himself for the law, the keeping of the law. The other example is a Roman custom 
that was known as in the in the Latin it was known as liberalia liberalia in in that culture and that culture is what culture the Galatians were in they were Gentiles and it was the Jews who were trying to make the Gentiles into Jews before they could become Christians these Judaizers so the Gentiles would have, would have understood the Roman law and culture a child is born into a home and he is placed under guardians or stewards. They have to look after him. They have to teach him. And trustees are appointed to carefully control what belongs to him until the time his father appoints to say he is liberated from childhood and today, at this point in time, he is a man. So that's why they called it liberalia. Uh, in the case of the Roman child, he was nothing until his father said he was something. So as a child, he didn't really have any rights or privileges. As it said previously, no different from a slave. So he was under guardianship. He was under, he was under taskmasters. He was under the, the oversight of others and did not have his freedom. Now in the Roman case... A father would appoint the time years in advance. Generally, most Roman fathers appointed the 17th birthday of the son to be the time of his liberation. And the declaration of the father was he has now moved into manhood. He is now a man. He is responsible for himself in the culture. He has been taught. He has been raised. All that is his has been cared for. And now he cares for it himself. But not until the father told him. So the father was in complete control of the liberation of his son. He wasn't in control of his own liberation. It's an important point to remember. Number three, so we, when we were unlearned children, were held in bondage under basic principles. There is a time in life before salvation that we are under the encumbrance, we are under the burden, we are under the bondage of principles, elementary principles. Now, Colossians chapter 2 defines that. Colossians, Paul writes to the Colossians 
And he, he defines it threefold. He, he defines it as human philosophy, empty deception, and traditions of men. Philosophy is, is defined in 2 Corinthians 8 as any, any godless idea that stands against the truth of God. So that's human philosophy. Until the Father calls us, until we are divinely enlightened, we are under bondage. We are held in bondage. We're held there under basic principles. Now this is where much of the world is today. Human philosophy, empty deception, not understanding the word of God, not understanding the things of God, not understanding the Christ of God, and foolishly standing against the very God of creation, our creator. Standing against him, and now that, that, that can't keep going. That soon collapses into itself. And judgment of God will fall. So without the absolute truth, without the standard of absolute truth, the absolute truth which is only found in the word of God, without that standard, without that measure, all of these loud voices begin to rise up and they begin to say, this is truth, this is truth, that is truth. Your truth is not as relevant as my truth. My truth must prevail. And left unchecked, people become violent under that bondage. And they kill themselves. They just wind up turning on each other. Now, included in the definition is also empty deception. To make people think that the, the word of God is useless, irrelevant, meaningless, and that the ideas of men must rise above all. We're, we are immersed in such an age today, an age of empty deception, strong delusion, philosophy, philosophies of men. And the third one is the traditions of men. Traditions, and of course, Christ faced this in his lifetime when he stood against the Pharisees who had raised the traditions of men at least to an equal level, if not, be, if not above the level of the word of God. Tradition after tradition after tradition. So those three things are where mankind departs from the truth of God and creates his own, uh, his own realm of existence and makes himself his own God. We live in that darkness and we abide in that 
deadness, that spiritual deadness, spiritually dead with no life, no understanding of light, in total darkness until the Father appoints us the time when he calls us out of that darkness and raises us out of that deadness and makes us alive. So Paul says to the Galatians, the human race is under these basic principles. They're encumbered. They're under a load. It is a crushing thing to them. Just like that child. That child has, has no rights. Can't do anything. Always told to do what to do by somebody else who really has no authority except that it is somehow gained over them. So we're unlearned children outside of Christ. People are mocking Christians and Christianity and they're fools. They don't realize how dead and dark and deceived and how lost they are. Under the load of human philosophy and empty deception and traditions of men, they're enslaved. And we're there until the Father sets us free. The call of God in Christ. Now it is to those who have been bewitched that Paul makes his appeal with regard to the truth that there is only one gospel and that gospel sets you free. Jesus Christ died to save us. He proclaimed in the last of it on the cross, it is done, it's completed, it's finished, it's accomplished. And so thus Christ, the Son of God, declared you can't add a thing to what I just did for you. Not a thing. He died to save us. He lives to keep us. Hebrews chapter 7 teaches us he is our great high priest. He intercedes. He ever lives, the Bible says, to make intercession for us. That's his job. That's his life right now. As the Holy Spirit is sent out by the will of the Father to call his own to himself. And he awakens us and gives us new birth, new life. Peter says he causes us to be born again. And so in that, we are kept by the Son of God who is our high priest. And then some infinitely glorious day, he is coming again for us. I think very soon. So, 
We had a lot of stupid ideas until the Father's appointed time. So now, two things about this slide, beginning in verse four. However, oh, thank God for those words like that, those, those conjunctive words. However, de, de, however, or but when, but however, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, having been born of woman under the law, that he might redeem those under the law. Now we saw last time that we all are under the law. It's written in our hearts, we have a conscience. And then of course the, 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 uh, the Israelites had the law. And we're encumbered in our consciences by the spirit of the law. So we're under the bondage of the law and the law cannot save us. Paul has already explained that. I'm going to preach that sermon again. But the law is given to define sin. That's why the law is given. To make us understand the mess we're in. And we break those commandments on a regular basis. All of us do. So then, it was in the fullness of time, the fullness, pleroma, there was no more time. In other words, time was filled up and it had to be then that God sent forth his son, born of a woman under the law. He kept the law for us. We can. Nobody can keep the law except Christ, virgin born, sinless, son of God. He kept the law for us. So just in the right time. Let's think about that for a moment. Just the right time. By the time God sent forth his son, the canon of Old Testament scripture had been completed We could race through the Old Testament and by the time we get to Malachi, we could have a beautiful portrait of the Christ of God. What family he comes from, where he's going to be born, even the time frame, according to Daniel, when he's going to be born. And then what he's going to do when he's born and the fact that he's going to be rejected and murdered by those to whom he comes. We would have this beautiful, perfect picture of the Christ of God. In the fullness of time, the Old Testament canon of Scripture had been completed, and there is no excuse for those who were claiming to know the law to deny the Christ of God. Also, Alexander the Great by that time had conquered the civilized world and had imposed Greek Hellenism on everybody so that everybody spoke the same common language, Koine Greek. And it was in that common man's language that everybody knew across that stretch of the world. Everybody knew it and understood it. It was in that language that the gospel was sent forth by the hands and pens of the apostles. 
Everybody could read it and understand it. But it was also in the time of Rome, Pax Romana. Rome had built an intricate network of roads and highways across that world. There were soldiers and sentries and, and magistrates appointed all across, stationed everywhere so that people could freely travel in a time when people could freely travel safely and carry a scroll written in a language that everybody understood and could proclaim the gospel of the Christ who was so clearly identified in the Old Testament that by that time had been completed. No wonder the Bible says, when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, having been born of woman under the law. Why? That he might redeem those under the law. That's all of us. Redeem. That's a legal term. Purchase to, to take something out of, out of slavery. To buy back a slave, to purchase a slave. That he might redeem us. Previously, in our study on Galatians, we have studied how he has justified us. That's another legal term. The legal term is... That in justification, the judge has declared that the convicted one, by substitute of one who is not guilty and has agreed to take the punishment, has declared this person justified on the basis of the life of the innocent one who would give that life in behalf of the guilty one. Thus covered in the righteousness of this one and this one covered in the guilt of that one and that one will die and this one is set free. That's justification. That's a legal term. Justification. Now here comes another legal term. So that we might receive the divine adoption into the divine family as sons. Now, in this era of political correctness, don't get your britches in a wad because it says sons. Theological correctness always trumps. That's an interesting word. Trumps <laughs> political correctness. Now remember, he had just said there, are, there is neither male nor female nor, nor slave nor free nor Jew nor Greek. That same principle applies, but this legal principle is something 
that is purely Roman that the Galatians would have understood. Now, the Jews didn't have anything like this when it comes to adoption. Israel in the Old Testament, they didn't have anything like that. They had a leveret marriage where the firstborn of the, the, the woman who was, whose husband had died and all that, the, that becomes the legal heir of the dead brother and all that. But this is, this is adoption. And the Holy Spirit is always right because he means to insert here and it is in the masculine. It's very, very, it's very plain up there. If a sin, divine adoption of sons into the divine family. Okay. Here's the deal about adoption. And some people, well, I thought I was born again. I mean, I've been born again. Adoption, God declares that what he does is right in every way that he does it. Okay. Jesus redeemed us under the law that we might receive the divine adoption into the divine family as sons. Okay. Adoption in Rome. Number one, the legal inheritance and all the, all the legal privileges were available only to the sons, not to the daughters. I didn't write the Roman law. That's just the way it was in that culture. The principle is Whatever divine adoption did for the sons who were adopted does it for all of us who are in Christ. Male, female, doesn't matter. Number two, adoption would cancel all of the debts of the one being adopted. Now, adoption... We think of adoption as a little baby, you know, it's googling and gurgling. And, but in Rome, a person often would adopt someone, a rich person would adopt someone older than he was. Did you ever watch Ben-Hur? This is yes and this is no. I know you're so awestruck by my message. You just, uh, Judah Ben-Hur, what was that guy's name? You know, he jumped in and saved him. He was a slave on a ship and he jumped in and saved the commander. That guy's name was Arius or something like that. And he adopted Judah Ben-Hur. Took off his signet ring, his family ring and gave it to him. He said, you're my son. All that is mine is yours. That's wrong. That's beautiful. You run home and watch Judah Ben-Hur. Not the new one, but the old one. And you'll appreciate this message even more. That was a Roman adoption. The son would become the heir of all that the master of the household had. His debts were canceled. He, he, he would inherit everything in the household. He got a new name. He was given a new name. Arius renamed Judah Ben-Hur. I think he renamed him son of Arius. I'm not sure. That was, that was a difficult to figure out. What? So 
All of these privileges, debts canceled, inherit incredible wealth, become part of a wonderful, powerful family, and receive the family name, be given a new name. You see, Christ said, you are of your father, the devil. By divine adoption, God would look at Satan and he would say, this is my child. Henceforth and forevermore. Not a thing you can do about it. So I once was Charles Satan. (laughs) Now I'm Charles Jesus. You understand that? I'm not Jesus. (laughs) I'm Charles in the family of Jesus. That's That's what adoption did for people who were adopted. They were also given citizenship, complete, full privileges and rights of citizenship in the Roman Empire. I have full kingdom citizenship. I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. It is a staggering and incredible thing that God Almighty has declared that I am a joint heir with Jesus Christ. I will spend into the ages of the ages understanding the wealth and treasure that is mine in Christ. Because God tended to every particular aspect of my salvation and included in it divine adoption. I'm adopted. Final thing is this. Did you know that a Roman citizen could disown a son but adoption was irreversible. Think about that. He can't get rid of me. It's all mine. Because of divine adoption. I went backwards. I'm not going to preach that one again. There it is. Final slide, two points. Because you are now sons, God sent forth his Holy Spirit into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Now, because of what the Father has done for me, I have the divine counsel within my heart. I have the divine guidance of God within my heart. I have the person of God by his Holy Spirit living in me. Thus I am called in my body the temple of the Holy Spirit. The temple of God. He has sent forth his Holy Spirit. You see, 
still a lot of things for me to learn and, and a path for me to follow. And even God even assumes that responsibility. Because I'm in Christ and I have faith in Christ. Final thing. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. If now a son, also an heir through God. Christ is my elder brother. Because he redeemed me on the cross, all, all that is his is mine. I'm joint heirs with Christ. I will even be seated with him in that awful time of judgment. And will enjoy forever my life in the family of God. With all of its full privileges and all of its treasure and all that goes with being in the family of God. I don't need anything else but Christ and his redemption. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He came into this world to save sinners. According to the Bible, if you would admit that you're a Christian, believe in Jesus, and in confessing sin, call on Him to be your Savior. He'll save you. Here's how we do our invitation. Remember, three things are of vital importance to your life. Number one, the first thing is salvation. Why would you walk away from such privileges and benefits? Maybe today is the day the Father has appointed to call you into his family. That's the first thing you need is salvation. Secondly, you should be obedient with regard to the Great Commission and be baptized. Not for your salvation, but to proclaim your salvation. Jesus made that commandment. And then thirdly, you need to be affiliated with a local body of Christ, a local church, membership. You may have one, two, or all three of those needs in your life. As you exit this service today, you'll see two rooms. We have deacons and their wives ready to sit down and talk to you about any of those three needs or all three of them. And so I'm praying that before you exit this building completely, all things in your heart will be settled before God. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for the day that you've given to us, for the privilege of teaching the Bible and learning it and studying it together. The privilege of worshiping Jesus Christ. And we hope that it's been in truth and in spirit. I pray your blessings on Shiloh, God. Protect us in this time of plague and disease and deception. That you will shelter us. 
and keep us according to your will and purpose. Dismiss us now in your love. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.